the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Welcome. I'm laughing because I've been sitting down for about 31 seconds. I got here just in time. And uh, but so good to be with you on another, well, kind of a cloudy and cool Saturday. We need, um, we need a break from all the heat. Had a bunch of rain. That was wonderful. And we've got an awful lot to do today. This is a quick turnaround for me. I was here for Stefan Tubbs last night, 3 to 7. And um, a couple of things that we talked about last night, we're going to revisit here today. Um, And a couple of things that you just should be aware of in case you're interested. You might want to go back and listen to those podcasts. You can find them on the Wake Up with Randy Corcoran um, page at 710knus.com, broken down by each and every hour, and um, on the Stefan Tubbs show as well. And first of all, in the 3 o'clock hour, we... I had my scheduling a little backwards because apparently I can't tell time in other time zones. But um, Steve Dace has a wonderful new book out. And if you know, and, and I say wonderful, it's not out yet, but um, I've had a chance to take a look at the first chapter and um, some of the accolades. And and I frankly, I just know the author. You know, Steve Dace, former nationally syndicated talk show host, and um, now he's got a TV show on Blaze TV. And he co-wrote this book with Daniel Horowitz, who still does tremendous work, tremendous podcasts at uh, at conservativereview.com, conservativereview.com. And they wrote a book. Uh, really, it's, um, it's fiction, nonfiction, because it's sort of a pretend Nuremberg trial for all of the CCP virus and vaccine hoaxers, uh, starting at the very top with Anthony Fauci. And so uh, Steve Dace joined us. I was texting with Horowitz, and he's on vacation, so he couldn't come on today. But um, uh, we'll get him on sometime, especially when the book comes out here in about, uh, gosh, maybe another, well, another couple of weeks, I think. But um, it was just a fascinating interview. The book is called The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial. So this never happens again. You can pre-order it at Amazon and all the usual places. But as usual with Steve, you know, the fastest mind in um, in the communication business, we, it was a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about leadership. And I've never seen Steve, never heard Steve sound optimistic about the future of, for instance, what's going on in the Republican Party, the future of politics. Uh, but he really, there, I even commented on it during the interview that um, there was a a touch of uh, an indication of optimism that I just hadn't felt before. And uh, and that's terrific. Steve is a God-fearing, very spiritual, uh, unbelievably well-educated, seems like perfect retention sort of individual. And if you've never heard Steve Dace before, be sure you grab the 3 o'clock hour podcast on from the Stefan Tubbs Show. In the 4 o'clock hour, we celebrated the demise of the Cheney political machine in Wyoming, so tied it together a bit with um, um, the fact that the Bushes and the Clintons and the Cheneys and even the McCains are really 
on the outside looking in of this growing MAGA movement within the Republican Party. Thank God for that. There's And don't get me wrong, there's an awful lot of pushback. There's an awful lot. Those people have money. They have wealth. The tentacles are large. The organizations are vast. And, um, and especially here in Colorado, you see an awful lot of that in the way our campaigns are being run and funded. And uh, But you can really see the writing on the wall. And uh, we were joined by the chairman of the Wyoming GOP from an oil field. And uh, his name is Frank Ethorn, and that was an interesting conversation as well. Five o'clock. And these are the couple of things that we probably won't talk about today. Definitely want to get back into um, the celebration with Liz Cheney and, uh, and her exit soon from Congress. She'll do as much damage as she possibly can to Republican chances for president 2024, especially if Donald Trump is the nominee, as I continue to expect. But she will not be in Congress, and her defeat was so magnanimous. But in the 5 o'clock hour, we were joined by the vice chair of the Colorado State GOP, Priscilla Ron, And we talked a little bit about candidates and the struggle, you know, that uh, some of us are having with some of our candidates because of positions that they have outlined and are standing firm on and, you know, sort of debating back and forth, where do you cross over from a principled stand on something like the life issue or the way the 2020 elections were funded in certain specific districts and all of that and move beyond the fact that the primaries are over. We have this slate of candidates. I understand recounts underway um, or at least a challenge on the apparently illegally done recount, quarter-million-dollar recount that uh, Jenna Griswold tried to slide by us. Um, I mean, that's still ongoing. Ballots have to be certified by, got the calendar packed. I haven't pulled it out yet, but I think it was September 12th we came up with uh, last night. But regardless, right now we have candidates who we anticipate will be on the ballot where the primaries are over and we have to step back, or do we? have to step back and take a more strategic look at how we handle voting moving forward. Can we overcome our resistance to vote for certain people or in certain ways because of the importance of stopping the unilateral Democrat control here in the state of Colorado and also in an effort, if it looks at all possible, at all viable, to help contribute to minorities in the House and the Senate on a federal level. And that's always a hot topic of conversation around here, 303-696-1971, 303-696-1971. We talked about that, but the primary reason I had Priscilla on and the reason I'm talking a little bit about last night's show is because if you if you didn't hear, I want you to hear a couple of people. Priscilla in the 5 o'clock hour, well, everybody, of course, Steve Dace, Frank Ethorn, but Priscilla in the 5 o'clock hour and then K. Carl Smith in the 6 o'clock hour. K. Carl Smith, uh, he's been on our, my show many times, but not in a long time. And um, he is the founder of the, I don't know, communication strategy of Frederick Douglas Republicans. And his argument, and uh, we played a clip from Rush Limbaugh, maybe we'll play that sometime during the show just to get your take on it, where Rush said, you know, stop calling yourself conservative. Stop it. Because the left has so t totally demonized that term. 
Find a better way, a different way to communicate your ideas. Don't back away from your, you know, election-winning, country-saving, bank account-growing, border-securing, national security-strengthening ideas, but get away from the label conservative. And Kay Carl Smith thinks that the Frederick Douglass Republican method is a wonder. And he's got a whole training coming out. He's been funded. Uh, he's going to be... He won't, I doubt we'll see him in Colorado. He's going to battleground states, but um, the trainings will be available, and we'll certainly have him back on when he rolls out this program that's coming up here, probably right around Labor Day. But I thought there were just interesting conversations about how we approach our politics and how we cling to our names. I've gotten in the habit, you know, when I go out and talk to people, um, invited to speak or whatever if, um, with a group of people that wouldn't necessarily know me, I often uh, will... You know, with a big smile on my face, I identify, identify myself as Randy Corcoran. I'm a God-fearing, country-loving husband, dad, granddad, constitutional conservative, Tea Party patriot, Republican in that order. And uh, all those labels that factor in. But for me, the point of that isn't the, the labels, the Tea Party patriot, which, is, of course, is very, very bad news if, uh, if you buy into the fact that the left has trashed our self-identifications or the constitutional conservative to, you know, virtual F-words um, for, the, for the left. And K. Carl Smith would say they are triggers for people who haven't been trained in the importance of the Constitution and the importance of uh, Frederick Douglass and how he saw the Constitution and the way we implement our freedoms and on and on and on. But I always give it that way because I think the order is important. My prioritization, even though as Republican National Committee man, you know, I'm fighting for um, an America first Republican Party. Uh, I have the Republican Party on the last on that list because and it should be right. If your if your commitments to God and family and then your founding principles aren't guiding what you do in your work as a party activist or a party leader, then something's out of whack there. And, man, we have a problem. We, we have an awful lot of that, right? Politicians who, who make promises and sound good and have, make great commercials and then get elected and, and go along to get along. We see it all the time. But uh, Priscilla Ron, who is a Frederick Douglass Republican, sort of laid out the attraction to her what it's meant to her. She's a school teacher, the vice chair of the Colorado State GOP. And then Kay Carl Smith in the 6 o'clock brought it home. So I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to at least those segments because it's something we probably won't spend a whole lot of time with right here today. A um, couple of other things that um, I have been wanting to talk about for, I don't know, a, a week or two, or at least they pop up and then I, you know, I get to the show and the show is over before I know it and I never get to them. Um, one is the attack on Salman Rushdie, the author of the Satanic Verses. And I, I don't know if you've read the Satanic Verses. It's uh, interesting for me because when I read it, I read it because it was this controversial uh, book and, and uh, you know, death uh, fatwa was issued against the author because he slammed Islam. And I, and I wasn't paying any attention back in the late 80s or early 90s. I think the book came out, I don't know, 88, 89. I probably read it in 90, 91. So I would have been, what, maybe 30 years old? Half my life ago. 
and I wasn't reading it from a perspective as a political activist or um, someone who had become a lot more invested in and aware of and 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 participatory in my own spiritual life and relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was just banging along. But I was a voracious reader. I loved to read. And this this book was controversial. And I grabbed it and I read it. It was a terrific book, I, I thought. I, and I, But I made no tie to the slamming of Muhammad and that this is, um, you know, the, the premise is that, that um, the satanic verses, the premise of that is this is really um, Islamic tradition. It's, it seems to be historically correct um, that this is how it's been reported. You know, you, you've got to decide whether you believe that Muhammad or Jesus or any of these biblical characters are actual living people or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to go there right now. It is part of Islamic history that has been written about Muhammad that says Muhammad was given these verses and he was tricked by Satan. And so because Muhammad is said to be infallible, um, to write about the satanic verses, even though it exists in Islamic history, is a crime punishable by death. It's blasphemous. But when I read the book, I had none of that background and none of that sort of perspective on it. It was just another book that was hot off the presses, and and it sounded interesting because it has, um, you know, it it has fantasy, it has uh, what some would consider magic, it has um, death and love and suicide and a plane crash. I mean, it's just on and on and on. And I, I looked for my my copy of it, and I, you know, my books are a scattered mess, uh, just hundreds of them everywhere, but not cataloged in any way, shape, or form. Multiple rooms, just piled up with books, but. Um, uh, so I couldn't find it. But what I remember of it is it was just a very entertaining read. And uh, and I didn't walk away with any profound understanding or, or I didn't make any connection to this battle that uh, goes on in Islam against anyone who is perceived to be um, talking, speaking negatively about the Prophet Muhammad. I, none of that made sense to me back in the 90s. And then, you know, a week or week and a half ago, whenever it was, uh, Rushdie is attacked on stage and really sliced up pretty badly, knife in the eye and significant blood loss and nerve damage and was on a ventilator for a while. And apparently he's off the ventilator and, and he's talking, but people are still trying to kill him. So I thought, man, oh, man, what is the best way to understand all of the different facets of this, how, how the media treats it? And and how after all these years over the writing of a book, which I as a, a, a non-follower of Islam and then back then in the 90s, little understanding, had spent no time in the Quran, uh, just thought was a, a fascinating read about other cultures, immigration. I mean, all kinds of different things that weren't really part of my awareness then, but were just fascinating to read about. And it's a well-written book, and, and I just thought it was um, it was a good read at the time. So I reached out to my old friend, Robert Spencer, from Jihad Watch. And it's, it's just amazing to me. Uh, yesterday with, uh, on the Tub Show with K. Carl Smith, uh, when I got him on, I realized, man, I haven't talked to you or had you on the air in a year plus, probably. And when I started thinking about Rushdie, and I still get daily the Jihad Watch um, newsletter from Robert Spencer, I uh, don't always open it, don't always read it, but I always see it as I'm scrolling through. And um, 
it just occurred to me that nobody better to talk about this particular and really you know low covered area of our lives you just don't see that many reports about um, Muslim attacks or uh, you know terrorist attacks or any of those kinds of things. I thought Robert Spencer would be terrific to get on to talk about this. So that's exactly what we're going to do. In fact, we're probably going to get to our break early so we can spend a good chunk of time with Robert Spencer in the next segment. I've got some amazing audio for you. I'm, I, there's this ad that Jenna Griswold and our former Republican Secretary of State, Wayne Williams, put out, which just drives me crazy. We'll play that for you. Have um, the what I think was probably Brian Stelter's Best CNN interview as we um, say farewell to the very effective and highly successful Brian Stelter, who has been fired from his job at CNN. Got that and a whole lot of things. Lots of open lines with you today. We do expect to connect with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert in the 10 o'clock hour. Other than those two people, it's going to be you and me all day long. So 303-696-1971. Let's get to that break. We'll pick up with Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch, talk about satanic verses and anything else that comes up in what I hope will be a lengthy conversation. So you stay right here. It's Wake Up with Randy Corcoran on 710 KNUS. The Who. Welcome back, Randy Corcoran, 710-KNUS, 303-696-1971 is the phone number, 303-696-1971. Phones are lighting, and we're going to get to your calls here starting in about 15 or 20 minutes, so uh, there is an open line if you want to grab it right now. But I'll tell you what, when I was, uh, and pure coincidence how things work together, I was here um, a little early for the Stephen Tubbs show and was talking with our producer, Mark Crowley, and he mentioned, or our He's just our everything. He's not really. He produces. He directs. He does Peter Boyle shoots, all kinds of stuff. And we were talking, and the name Robert Spencer came up. And I'm like, man, uh, there was a time when I was doing a Monday through Friday morning drive show that Robert was a guest uh, virtually once or twice a week, or once a week, once every couple of weeks at the least, if and when we could get them, get him. And it's just been a while. I still get the Jihad Watch. Um, daily newsletters and uh, know sort of what's going on with Robert and uh, just got on my heart that, man, especially with this Salman Rushdie story, if uh, we could get him on to talk about it, there is nobody better. And he joins us now. Robert, thank you so much for on short notice joining us this morning. I really do appreciate it. Always good to talk to you, Randy. Thank you. Yeah, I think it may it may be close to a year. And I know you had some health issues for a while and you you, you sound great, so I hope that that's all behind you. But, uh, man, oh, man, it's just good to have you and hear your voice. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. So I in the opening segment of the show, I and I looked feverishly this morning for my old copy of the Satanic Verses. Um, and I just explained to the audience that, you know, when I read that thing, it was back probably in, in 1990, half of my lifetime ago. I was not a political activist. I was not aware of... Um, Islamic extremism. Uh, the I don't even think the first uh, uh, World Trade Center bombing had occurred yet when I read Salman Rushdie. So the only thing that drew my attention to it was that there was some you know media craze about it because it was causing some controversy. And when I read it, and what I recall of it, since I couldn't find it and sort of fly through it again, 
Um, it was just a wonderful read. It had fantasy. It had magic. It had a love affair. It had murders and suicides and plane crashes and miraculous survivals and just all kinds of, you know, um, wonderful facets of a, of a fiction book to, to get a reader's attention. And, and I never thought any more about it. And then I learned about fatwas and I knew that, uh, Rushdie was under one. And, uh, and then of course it all came to, um, to a, a point of uh, reigniting the interest when this man is attacked on stage, almost may have lost an eye, nerve damage, almost bled out on a ventilator. Um, guess he's able to speak and breathe on his own again. But um, man, oh man, after all of these years, um, that threat still existed. And I just thought Robert Spencer is the man to help us understand it. So um, talk to me. What do you know about Salman Rushdie, first of all? Is he some kind of an activist? Did he write this book to be provocative? What do you think about that? Uh, no, I don't think so at all. Salman Rushdie is just a novelist. He's written 14 novels, and he comes from a Muslim background in India, although I believe he was raised mostly in Britain. In any case, uh, he wrote this one novel about his, about somebody actually – trying to come to grips with being from a Muslim background and in the West and so on. And in doing so, he took a story from Islamic tradition where Muhammad cancels some revelations that he got and says that they were inspired by Satan, and he made it the basis for part of the novel. And so this novel was taken up by the Ayatollah Khomeini back in 1989 as being blasphemous, and they put a death sentence on him. But this is not something that he was looking for, or I'm sure he was quite surprised by this because he was coming at it from an entirely different angle. He wasn't meaning to criticize Islam, to blaspheme against Muhammad, none of these things. He was only just using this material as a springboard for his own consideration. Yeah, I, and again, it's been so many years since I've read the book, but I there was nothing in it that had me starting to think negatively about a prophet from another religious tradition that I wasn't paying any attention to whatsoever. There was just no trigger uh, of that at all. So I explain to folks exactly, when you say use the term fatwa, what does that mean and where does the authority come from? Yeah, fatwa is just a religious ruling on a disputed question. You know, you go to the authority and ask him, well, what do I think, what should I do about this? What should I think about this issue? And the religious authority issues a fatwa. It's kind of come to be associated with a death sentence in the West because the most famous fatwa is this one, the one on Salman Rushdie, saying, yes, Salman Rushdie is a blasphemer and he deserves death. But there are actually all kinds of fatwas about all kinds of issues, and Islamic authorities issue them all the time. In Shiite Islam, which is where this comes from, uh, for Salman Rushdie, the Imam Khomeini is the leader of the Muslim community, is an ayatollah, which is a very high authority in Shiite Islam. And so he was making a ruling on this question of blasphemy, and uh, that's where all of Salman Rushdie's troubles began. I should have probably gone back and looked it up, but my recollection is I read this book sometime around... 1990. Um, I just, I'm pretty sure it was before the World Trade Center bombings because that's when I first started to become aware of, of Islamic terrorism. Um, 
Is, is that timing about right? When did the book come out and when did the fatwa get issued? The book came out actually in 1988, and not long after that, on February 14, 1989, Valentine's Day, the Ayatollah issued the fatwa. And since then, several Iranian authorities have tried to downplay it and distance themselves from it. But then at the same time, the uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, Khomeini's successor as the supreme leader of Iran, has reaffirmed it. And in 2019, uh, tweeted that it was very much still in effect. Can a subsequent Islamic leader rescind a fatwa of a prior leader? I mean, wouldn't that, in a sense, be doing um, what Rushdie apparently wrote about? Because if the if the if the Islamic leader issuing the fatwa is speaking for Muhammad, is the the speaker of Muhammad's words, which I think is how they get their position of authority then how could, could a subsequent leader say, no, no, that was wrong? Well, yeah, we have to understand, of course, that there are different kinds of authorities and different kinds of fatwas. And so ordinarily in Sunni Islam, which is most Muslims, 85 percent to 90 percent of Muslims around the world, anybody could dis- write, uh, issue a fatwa that disagreed with somebody else's or uh, – uh, purports to cancel it out if it's, there's a continuity in the authority and so on. However, in Shiite Islam, there is an idea of the infallibility of the ayatollahs, uh, particularly ones of very high authority like uh, Khomeini, and so it would be very tough to rescind. And uh, theoretically, it would be possible, but very difficult because if he's infallible, then he's infallible. If the next guy is infallible, he's not going to contradict the other infallible guy. So for 34 years, uh, or 33 years, math in my head, the uh, Rushdie has been under this death sentence. What has he said about it? Is there anything he could do to get absolution, to get forgiveness, to um, be allowed to live out the rest of his life without having to have armed security round the clock? No, there's not really anything he can do. Uh, actually, he did what he could do in uh, 1990 or 91, I believe it was. He actually converted to Islam. Now, this confused a lot of people because a lot of people assumed that he had come from a Muslim background, and he did. But what he was doing was, uh, in the first place, making a public declaration that he had not been a Muslim when he wrote the book. And so a lot of people say Sharia, Islamic law, doesn't apply to non-Muslims. And so uh, the idea would be that a uh, uh, non-Muslim could be blaspheming because he doesn't believe in any of this, whereas a Muslim would be guilty of blasphemy for saying the same thing. And then uh, in converting to Islam, then he was repudiating the whole thing. Now, the problem with this is that it isn't really true that Sharia only applies to Muslims. And so the conversion to Islam and the declaration that he had been a non-Muslim when he wrote the book didn't get him anything, uh, didn't get him anywhere uh, in terms of canceling the fatwa. Uh, And that was about the best thing he – I mean that was about anybody's best idea as to what he could do about this. Talking with Robert Spencer, jihadwatch.org, and uh, boy, go there and sign up for the daily newsletter. Fascinating news on things that really, Robert, have simply 
sort of faded out of public awareness because the news here in the United States just simply don't cover um, these stories that continue to pop up where radical Islamism is is causing danger, making threats or injuring or killing people. Yeah, it's a well, there's the establishment media in the West made a conscious decision to downplay and obscure evidence of jihad activity. Uh, the claim is that it endangers innocent Muslims to report honestly about these issues. I don't think there's any substance to that claim, but because of that fear, the uh, jihad activity, the extent of it, it would shock most Americans. They have no idea, but I cover it all at uh, Jihad Watch. A lot of people think in general that well, you know, they hit us on the on 9-11, and that was it, and otherwise it's been pretty quiet. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Well, my God, under the, Borden, uh, under the Biden border policies, um, two million people across the border, hundreds of thousands unaccounted for, unrecognized, uh, the admission of, of at least hundreds of terrorists, and we know those numbers are undersold tremendously. It's certainly easy to believe that... Uh, that we're in for a round of additional terrorism, uh, you know, as soon as somebody comes along and seals up the border and we, they know what the forces are, they're likely to be unleashed on us again. I guess maybe unless we get in line, unless we behave, unless we, uh, you know, refuse to talk about these issues. I mean, could we keep ourselves safe if we were just good boys and girls and didn't talk about these things? Well, certainly a lot of people have chosen that path. And I don't think it's a good path because if you show someone that you can be subjected to violent intimidation and that you'll cave into it, then you're only going to encourage more violent intimidation. And so it's not really going to get you anywhere. Uh, You might be safe for a little while, but then they'll come around with more demands and ultimately you're a slave. So uh, it's certainly true that for the establishment media, for most of the media outlets in the United States. They won't talk about these issues, honestly. They won't uh, discuss the free speech issues involved. They just shy away from it all. And people have generally internalized the idea that you just don't talk about these things because you might get uh, physically endangered as a result. And, well, the problem is you're just going to invite more intimidation. You've experienced uh, these threats, uh, assaults on your life, the FBI under tremendous scrutiny for people with the courage to actually open their eyes and talk about it seem to have been complicit in uh, following a terrorist to to an event that you and Pam Geller put on. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that before we have to let you go. But uh, focusing back on Salman Rushdie, so for the rest of his life, uh, however he recovers, he will have to, uh, unless some miracle occurs and the fatwa is dropped, um, another Muslim who gets inspired by this instruction could be targeting him at any time or any place, correct? Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Did Salman Rush write any more, uh, Rushdie write any more books after Satanic Verses? Has he continued to, to be a successful, prolific writer? Yes, he has. Uh, I'm not a big fan, and so I can't give you the titles, but I know that he's written quite a few novels since then. And I don't believe any of them have been accused of blasphemy. What do you know about the suspect who attacked Salman Rushdie? Hadi Matar is a Lebanese Muslim. He was raised in the United States, 
And uh, a few years back, he went over to Lebanon to visit relatives and came back and started to scold his mother for not raising him as a strict religious Muslim. And uh, he started to withdraw from her and to get more and more fanatical in his religious observance. This is something we see very often with Islamic Jihad terrorists, that they get more religious and then go on a jihad attack and commit a jihad attack. And yet authorities resolutely ignore the connection because, of course, it would be Islamophobic to discuss. Oh, boy. And as I recall, and I wasn't, I just don't get a chance to absorb an awful lot of news, and I virtually watch no mainstream news. But initially, they were, didn't they come out and say, uh, we're still unclear about the motive for the attack? Yeah, uh, it's kind of difficult to sustain, <coughs> excuse me, kind of difficult to sustain that now, because Hadi Matar, the stabber, has said from jail that he is uh, uh, happy that he did it because Rushdie insulted Islam. But yes, you're right. The New York Times, the New York State Police came out right after the stabbing and said that his motive was unclear. And this was absurd from the beginning because nobody's motive was ever clearer. This guy's had a death sentence over his head for 33 years. And so uh, it was extremely obvious why he was attacked, and yet the leftist establishment media completely, resolutely ignored it. For uh, for my producer's benefit, uh, we're going to push this segment just a little bit. I know you've got to go here in, in the next few minutes, but we're going to push this break just a hair so we can finish up our great conversation with my old friend Robert Spencer. The uh, did the did I haven't watched the video of the attack. I know video is out there. Did the attacker shout Alu Akbar as he was attacking? Do you know? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. Uh, I don't. I haven't heard that he said anything. Um, so uh, that may be amended after a while because I haven't actually seen any any video that had audio with it. But no, as far as I know, he didn't. Anything else of importance that uh, you think our listeners would be interested in about this particular assault? And we'll take a couple of minutes to talk about some other things. Well, I think it's interesting that a lot of people are defending Rushdie, who have been uh, warning about how talking about jihad violence is is so-called Islamophobia for years. And now they're in kind of a difficult position because Rushdie, it's a very obvious case where we should be defending the freedom of speech. But the freedom of speech is under attack by a lot of the same people who are saying, oh, it's terrible that Rushdie was attacked. Then they will turn around and say, no, it's Islamophobic to talk about jihad violence. This whole censorship issue is is so huge. I think it will fuel a lot of the positive results and changes that we'll see over the next couple of election cycles. I've got some audio of the with the founders of the Gays Against Groomers group that were tweeting and grew to the hundreds of thousands, or I guess a couple hundred thousand followers on Twitter before and were suspended three times. And the only way they were allowed, it appears to me, the only way they were allowed to come back on Twitter was to change their name from Gays Against Groomers to Gays Against Broomers. I mean, the absurdity, the Orwellian nature of the media 
I always refer to it as the corrupt, coordinated, Democrat-controlled media machine is just uh, – uh, if you reread 1984 and then just looked around, you'd realize that uh, George Orwell was a prophet, not an author. Uh, it's just incredible. Indeed. So in the couple No of, doubt about it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 you're absolutely right. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's, it's okay. I'm far more interested in your thoughts. I'll babble forever. Um, in a couple of minutes that we've got left, number one, uh, I'd like to talk a minute about the FBI complicity and the attack on you and Pamela Geller, if we can. But um, also, is are there any other stories out there that simply aren't getting covered that you think people should be aware of? Well, there are an awful lot. Uh, take, for example, that was there was there's a serial killer that was a serial killer in New Mexico. And he was killing Muslims. He killed four Muslims. And Joe Biden issued a statement and Kamala Harris issued a statement. And we were all warned against hate and Islamophobia. And then the killer turned out to be a Sunni Muslim targeting Shiite Muslims. And, of course, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris didn't say anything about that. And that is indeed yet another indication of how the uh, public discourse is all deformed on this issue. It's all about... Uh, Muslims as victims, and then when Muslims are not victims but perpetrators, then there's no discussion whatsoever, and everyone goes silent. And so, in a sense, it's the same as what's happening in the Rushdie attack. Uh, people are talking about it in an, in, in an inconsistent manner, because otherwise they have been very clearly in favor of censorship. And you have lived uh, not only the censorship, but the fear of death threats. Is there a fatwa against you, or are there just people? Yeah, sure. I mean, not from the Islamic Republic of Iran, but yeah, I, I have people who have uh, told me that al-Qaeda issued one, although I've never tracked it down, so I'm not sure that was true. But many people have, I've gotten millions of death threats. I don't keep track of how many, but uh, as you noted, the jihadis tried to kill us at our event, our free speech event in 2015, and the FBI had an undercover agent encouraging the attackers and doing nothing to prevent them from attacking. And Just so that was kind of interesting. Incredibly untold story. So when you see things like the raid on Mar-a-Lago, when you see the way the uh, FBI has protected Hunter Biden and attacked Trump in 2016 uh, with a false dossier and, you know, the, the leader James Comey taking classified documents home, leaking some of them to the New York Times, no prosecutions, no investigations, uh, boy, you have personal experience about how how corrupt these agencies at the top have become. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I was the first booster of the FBI. You know, I remember in the uh, 2010s, in the early 2010s, there were leftist writers, Spencer Ackerman and others, who were saying that uh, the FBI was making up these jihad plots. They were entrapping people. It was not real jihad activity. And I argued basically from the assumption, oh, no, the FBI wouldn't do such a thing. And now, <laughs> uh, I, I admit I was naive. Yeah. And blind. I'm sure that, uh, yeah, blind. they did trump up a lot of those attacks, I'm sure. Uh, not saying there's no jihad. Unfortunately, there is. Yeah. But the FBI certainly can't be trusted. Blinders are coming off millions of Americans every single day. Yep. Or the numbers are growing, and that's terrific. Um, Robert, I know you're out of time. You've you've written, I think, 30 books was my last count. Anything on the horizon? Uh, I have a – well, my new book is The Critical Quran, which is a new translation of the Quran with commentary. 
making it all clear and showing why uh, Islam does pose a danger to non-Muslims in many ways. And I'm working on a book on the Civil War in America, which is coming out in January, called The Sumter Gambit, that is available for pre-order now, and working on another book about the Byzantine Empire and what it can show us about how we can recover our civilization a little bit. And that will be out next year, I hope. So we're talking about your leisure time. What are you doing for work? Kidding. <laughs> man, you're you're just amazing. You're a treasure. Um, you're a good friend. It's been so many years since you've been in Colorado, and I got to spend some time with you. But I'm grateful for your time today. Everyone, check out jihadwatch.org. Sign up for the daily newsletter. Keep an eye out for the books. Uh, check out the old books. They'll give you an understanding, an eye-opening understanding that uh, you've probably never had. And, Robert, I wish you safety and health and hope to talk to you again real soon. Okay, likewise, Randy. Thank you very much. God bless you, sir. All right, it's 945. We're so late. Congressman Lauren Boebert will join us at the top of the hour here on 710 KNUS. But right now we do need to take a break. 303-696-1971 is the number. I'm Randy Corpin on 710 KNUS. Kelly did a nice job freshening up the bumper. That's music, by the way. 951, nine minutes to go until 10 o'clock. Randy Corporan, 303-696-1971 is the number. We'll get to phone calls here in just one second. But I know, I know without a doubt that you have been missing, probably craving just a little bit of time with the Biden White House press secretary, Katie Jean-Pierre, who, uh, to my knowledge, hasn't had a press conference since, gosh, around my birthday, August 7th, uh, August 8th, August 9th, something like that. So we've got a quick compilation for you, then we'll get to the phones. I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. We don't have anything. I just don't have anything. Don't have anything. So I don't have anything. 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 I just don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I don't have anything. Again, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Don't have anything. I don't have anything. I just don't have anything. I 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 don't have anything. We don't have anything. Now, I will tell you, got a hundred of those. That was one through 30. But I watched them all, and every single one is a different shot. Um, unless my really, unless my short term memory is really, really bad, um, I didn't see a repeat. Don't have anything in the bunch. And we'll have a little more fun with that as time goes on. We do have callers on the line. Let's start with Jim in Littleton. 303 696 1971 is the number. Good morning, Jim. Uh, good morning, Randy. A great interview with Robert. I really miss him being in the morning show on all the time. Yeah, he was um, on with Peter a lot. He, I used to have him on quite a bit uh, when I was doing a regular morning show. I'll, I'll make sure to get him back on any shows that I'm doing um, more because he's such an important he's voice. Fan- he is fantastic. Hey, I just want to uh, circle back on the FBI and why there is such a distrust. I can only speak for myself, but there was an interview on Fox concerning the uh, computer shop owner that had Hunter Biden's laptop. He, he had expressed, he had said he has been threatened by the FBI. Uh, he had to close down his shop as a result of death threats. And it seems like the FBI is an arm of the Democratic Party and actually the elite. Because why would you threaten somebody that stepped forward and knew it would be dangerous um, instead of protecting them. I just have no trust in our intel anymore. I uh, Another reason I want to say is 
whatever happened to the pipe bombers for the DNC and the RNC in D.C.? I don't know if you listen to Dan Bongino, but he has a nice spin on it. And it really is true. They have buried that. And there's a reason why they buried it. And Dan basically says that was a backup plan in case there was no riot at the Capitol. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, speculation becomes less... Uh, you know, you have to you become less creative because the facts just start to fit into place. January 6th, so many things that uh, that had to come together for that to happen. Nancy Pelosi, the Capitol Hill police turning down the National Guard that was offered by Donald Trump. Those big vault like ton weight gates on the or doors on the one of the entrances to the Capitol, electric doors being opened from the inside. The video we see of officers waving people in and, you know, um, so many of them just walking on the carpets and looking around in that beautiful historic Capitol building. And uh, and Ray Epps, the the murder of Ashley Babbitt, just so much that uh, makes it pretty easy to question the motives. And I've seen the video of that they've released of the Democrat Republican bomber on that day. And it looks like there's pieces of it missing that might help us identify that guy. Well, uh, my understanding is, according to Dan, you know, and he kind of says that thing was not designed to go off, but it was designed to, if it was set, I guess, to go off or the timer was like 15 minutes before they were to vote. So in that, in essence, they were trying to use it as if something came up and then the Republicans basically raised their hand and said, we object. They were going to use that as a weapon or a club against them to say, no, you guys have terrorists in your group. We have to move forward. I think it makes a lot of sense what he's saying. And, uh, you know, until the government is more free-flowing with the information, until we stop seeing this this bias to basically beat Republicans with a club and to basically uh, give Democrat lawbreakers sugar, I don't have any faith in our government concerning the CIA or the FBI. I think they are nothing more than corrupt organizations that remind me a lot of the Soviet Union, and they have a lot of building to do. And what they've done to Trump further enforces the point that if they can do that to him, watch out. The IRS is coming for you, baby. Do you remember, did you ever see the clip of of, uh, Senator Schumer, Democrat Senator Schumer from New York, warning Donald Trump when he was calling out these agencies uh, and referring to the deep state and all of that, warning Donald Trump that these agencies have a way of biting back. Did you ever hear that one? Oh, yeah. Time and time again, it was great. Yeah. It was basically showing that Trump is going, he is basically going off a board and uh, he is going to get hammered by them, as he did get hammered by them time and time again. And, um, you know, it just basically, I have no trust. There was no one, there was no price to pay for what was done to him. All these uh, FBI agents and lawyers that lied. They basically, the one guy, what is it, that they, they did, uh, they did find fault that did uh, plead a deal. The guy who altered a document that it was submitted yeah. to a FISA yeah. court. Yeah. It's incredible, Jim. And, and they, license back. Yeah. But Donald Trump is the criminal, and we've got to take him down at all costs. Jim, I've got Congresswoman Lauren Boebert waiting in the wings, but uh, terrific first call of the day. Thank you for listening to the show. Have a tremendous weekend. You too. All right. God bless. 957. We're going to cut to the chase right now. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, when we return on Wake Up with Randy Corcoran here at 710 KNUS. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.